them and he asked them, Who do the crowd say I am? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others that one of the prophets of long ago has come back to life. What about you? Disciples, those who have been hanging out with me, following me, what, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Peter answered, God's Messiah. Jesus strictly warned them, don't tell anybody, don't tell anyone. He said, the Son of Man, he must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, the teachers of the law. He must be killed on the third day, raised again to life. Then he said to all, he said, whoever wants to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life, they will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man, listen, will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. So Jesus asks, who do the crowd say that I am? The disciples give him an answer. But then he asks another question. Don't you just love the questions of Jesus? He, he's a good rabbi, right? He's asking all these questions. He goes, what about you? Who do you say that I am? And Peter replies, would, would we all say this together? If it's not up on the screen, it's God's Messiah. One, two, three. God's Messiah. Peter replies in this way because really he's seen it with his own eyes, hasn't he? He's been on this journey with the Lord. We've been on that journey as we've gone through Luke and we've been able to see it. He's watched Jesus perform things of the kingdom. The things of the kingdom that, remember Isaiah, he had prophesied about, he predicted. Jesus even quoted Isaiah way back in Luke chapter 4 in that synagogue. Peter and his disciples, they've witnessed firsthand the kingdom of God. They've seen that Jesus, you are the Christ. Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the one that Gabriel, remember Gabriel, he prophesied way back in chapter 1 to Jesus' mother. So Peter declares that he's the Christ. Listen to how this whole event unfolds in the gospel according to Matthew. Simon Peter says, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And I love this. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. On this rock I will build my church, and the gate of Hades will not overcome it. Who do you say I am? Such an important question. I've actually preached on this topic a couple of times here at Lifespring because it's vital. I mean, it matters. The answer affects everything. And I, and I truly believe this. Maybe you have a relationship with God. If you do, still asking you that same question. Who do you say that I am? Because who we say that Jesus is, it, it matters. Our, our response to that question, it affects everything. It affects our schools. It affects our homes, our families. Anybody have a job? It affects your workplace. It affects where you go every day for work. <laughs> the response to that question affects everything. I mean, just think about it. If you're in school today, maybe you're in middle school or high school, college. I'm not sure exactly what you guys are using these days, but whether it's a Snapchat or TikTok or whatever you youngins are doing these days, a tweet. I know that one. 
But let's say you, you get one and it's just flat out inappropriate. It's just wrong. It's just not of the Lord. What you think of Jesus and who you think Jesus is to you, that's going to influence your answer. Does that make sense? You guys hear me? That, that's going to influence your answer. If you're walking around your high school and all the guys are talking in a disrespectful, dishonoring way of women, what you think about Jesus is going to affect how you respond to those guys. Thanks so much, Sam. Jesus is going to affect you. Right? His, the response, how you respond to those guys. Jesus, who Jesus is, who he is in you. Jesus shows us in the Bible again and again and again how he honored women. How he respected women. And if you're going around your school, what you think of Jesus is going to affect how you treat other people. Your families. How you treat those in your family. If Jesus doesn't mean much to us, if he really isn't the Messiah, if he isn't the king who's coming back to consummate his kingdom, well then, guess what? Let's just be selfish. Right? Let's just selfishly use all of our time. Maybe throw our family a bone here or there. Not get into too many fights. But really, let's see what we can get out of it. Right? Let's eat, drink, be merry, because tomorrow, what? We die? But Jesus models a way of life that's a little bit different, doesn't he? Where we actually humble ourselves to what? To serve one another. We humble ourselves where we're not even thinking of our own needs. We're actually thinking of the needs of others. And so we're actually thinking about our brother, about our sister, about our mother, about our father. How can I serve them? How can I be a blessing to them? In your workplace, right? Anybody have a job before? I've had several. Isn't that fun to talk about the horror stories of some of those early jobs that you had? We just got to talk one of these days. I got some, some doozies. <laughs> but think about the workplace. Workplace gossip. Gossip. Can it, it can be the worst, can it? Just the worst. The water cooler conversations, by the way. Water cooler conversations. Mary tells me in, at her workplace, she'll come home. She goes, man, just the way they talk about their spouses can just be so wrong. Anyone experienced that before? The way that they talk about the love of their life. The way they talk about them behind their back. Just de- degrading their spouses to their coworkers. Or if your group is large enough, maybe you're talking bad about other coworkers. Or you're talking bad about your superior or the boss or whoever it is. And so you got Jesus and Jesus is with you. But who Jesus is to you in that moment, what you think of Jesus at that lunch break or at that conversation by the water cooler, don't you, are you tracking with me? It's going to affect how you act. It's going to affect the very next words that come out of your mouth, right? Because as a Christ follower, you're going to speak well of your spouse with a gentleness and a patience and a kindness, well of your coworker, your boss, knowing that flesh and blood is not your enemy. Did you know that? Flesh and blood is not your enemy. And because you follow Christ, you follow the one who actually says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Who you say that Jesus is affects everything. It affects the disciples' lives in a big way. Out of their belief in Him as the Christ, as the Messiah, they all end up suffering for Christ. Which, by the way, is a terrible way to grow a church, to let everyone know you're going to suffer. But it's the truth. 
Ten out of the twelve disciples end up dying for, for their faith. John, he gets exiled to an island. By the way, it's not just because they're gluttons for punishment. Right? Well, I just love being persecuted and abused or tortured or murdered. No, it's because they actually believe Jesus is who he says he is. I, I hope that, gets, that seed gets planted deep within us today, church. That we would trust and believe and stand on Jesus. I believe that you are who you say that you are. They saw him. They, they heard him preaching the good news of the kingdom. They saw him healing the sick. They even experienced him as we talked about him giving them power and authority in the name to proclaim the kingdom and to heal the sick. They believed in him. They were all in. All their eggs were in one basket. I just want to add, and, and I, I get that we all wrestle with this in some way, but I want to add that this is the only way to be a Christian. All in. All in. It's the only, I mean, we've all tried not to do that. But it's the only way. When, when I'm struggling, and I struggle with the best of you, like when I'm struggling, it's almost always because I've allowed some fear, some worry, some place of unbelief. You ever had to repent of unbelief? Lord, just help me believe in my unbelief. I, I'm there, and praise the Lord that He responds to that. But how often I'm allowing those things to control me, to lead me. And, and I had to spend some quiet time, of, uh, it was a couple of weeks ago, on a few verses and these are so powerful. We, we had Micah and Nicole here, which was incredible. And they sang this beautiful song. We actually sang it again today. But we meditated upon these words. And I, I want to put it back up on the screen. I want us to read it together. It's just that opportunity again to allow the Lord to examine our lives. And, and only someone that is all in for Jesus would dare pray this prayer. But we're all in. All our eggs are in one basket. Let's read it together. Psalm 139. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. As a disciple of Christ, there almost needs to be a daily prayer of Psalm 139, right? Where we allow the the Lord to examine our hearts so that He can have His way in us where we don't live by our own will, our own desires, our own wants, good or bad, by the way, but just that we would live, no, by the power of the living God who lives within us, where again, we talk, we act, we live from a place of true surrender to God, surrender to Jesus, living in Him, trusting in Him, actually responding, making life decisions, like real life decisions, real life choices from the place of an abiding relationship with Christ. But I also think it needs to be said that completely surrendering to Christ, having that abiding relationship with Christ, living for Christ, living in Christ, declaring to the world that I believe He is the Son of the living God, He is the Messiah, that does not save you from hard or challenging situations. I, I, I just want you, I, and don't take this the wrong way, but I, I know that you're going through a hard situation, but the people around you are going through really hard situations as well. There's way more hurt and hardship and sorrow and anxiety and worries and fear, way more than ever comes out. And so just have compassion for the person next to you. And that, yes, you are going through a hard thing, but they probably are as well. In fact, I've noticed, 
I mean, this, no one told me this when I was a kid, but I've noticed that for those who really step up and live for Jesus, it often gets harder. Again, no one likes to hear that. But just think about those disciples. How much easier it would have been just to keep fishing. Right? Just live a quiet life. I don't even know how to fish. I didn't even reel it back in. I just kept on throwing it. Just, I mean, they probably would have lived longer. They probably wouldn't have made so many enemies. Think about the enemies you have solely because you believe in Jesus. But they knew who Jesus was. This was gripping me this week, church. They knew he, they knew he was the Messiah. They knew. Like, they believed. Like, with everything, with it, they knew. And sure, they had their human moments. But at the end, when all was said and done, they knew that he was bringing the kingdom of God. And they knew nothing else, even their lives, life itself, nothing else was as important as being a part of what Jesus was bringing to the world, even though it led them to some things that were unfair or some things that were difficult. But they just knew it. It's worth it. This is the Messiah. He's bringing the kingdom of God. And I want to be a part of that kingdom. Anybody else in the house today want to be a part of the kingdom of God? (laughs) Hallelujah. So we answer, he is God's Messiah. But then listen to what happens next. Verse 21, Jesus strictly warns them, don't tell anybody. Says the Son of God, or the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. He must be killed on the third day, raised to life. Then he says to them, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Whoever wants to be my disciple. If you want to be his disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow Jesus. So he just told them, right? Yes, I am the Messiah. Yes, I am the Son of the living God. But right away, right after this revelation, he, he does two things, doesn't he? he? One, he predicts his death and his resurrection. But then two, he, he tells them about the cost of discipleship. Isn't that crazy? Like right out, like this is pretty good news. Like let's throw a party. We found him. Messiah is here. Da da. Oh, and it's gonna cost you. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. I guess we should still eat. <laughs> but I'm going to have to process that one, Jesus. Anyone ever have to process the cost of discipleship? You guys know what I'm talking about? Because salvation, it's a free gift, isn't it? Salvation is a free gift of God's grace. We enter into the kingdom as a free gift. It's a free gift offered to sinners all over the world. Hallelujah. But then for those of us who have been transformed by the kingdom's power, those of us who have been born again in his kingdom, we must remember there is a high cost to discipleship, that you are signing up and you are called to a radical, self-sacrificial life. You don't just tack on Jesus and remain the same. Have you tried that? What a miserable way to live, by the way. But being his disciple, it changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Jesus changes everything. Your life is no longer your own. You've been bought with a price. You are now in service to the king. Hallelujah. So what does that look like? What does that look like in your school? What does it look like in your family? 
What does it look like in your job? You're spending 40, 50 hours at your job. What does it look like to be a disciple of Christ in your workplace? Actually, this week, I, I was thinking about this. I was getting excited. I was kind of pounding my fist on the table. That's what I do when I'm really excited in the workplace. I'm just like, oh, yes. Like, what a beautiful picture. Listen to this. What a beautiful picture it is when a whole group like us, and there's tons of people here. Like, there's more than I ever thought would be at Life Spring. Praise the Lord, God is doing something. But what a beautiful picture if He took a whole group of believers like us that began to truly walk this out. Come on. Anyone else get the goosebumps, right? Where you're not just living for yourself. Aren't we just tired of living for my wants, my desires, my will? But we say, no, I'm counting the cost. This is not a game. I am submitting my life to Jesus. I'm allowing Him to live in me and through me to flow through us as a body where we bring the light of Christ, where we bring the love of Christ, the hope of Christ, the joy of Christ, the life of Christ into our schools, into our families, into our workplace. What an amazing thought that is. It makes you want to pound the table. It gets me excited. Church, we had that joint worship night with the Adventists. And that was a great night, and we worshiped the Lord. But um, I, I love it. So he came, this guy came to the service, and partly because he was just so excited about LifeSpring. He's been doing some work at the church. He built another classroom out there. And, and he, came, he completed the job, and so he came into my office just to tell me that he had completed the job. And so without even thinking, I went up to him, I laid my hands on his shoulder, and I just started praying for him. I didn't realize that that hadn't happened before. Like, you just don't do that. But I didn't know. So, but it encouraged him so much that he wanted to come to that service. He wanted to worship with us. He was so excited. He came the week before. He was seven days early. He just wanted to hear me speak. He wanted to be around Lifespring because he was touched by Jesus through Jesus' disciples. Hallelujah. That's what we do. As disciples of Christ. That's who we are. Daily. Daily we choose to get our eyes off ourselves. And onto Christ. How can we be a blessing to the world around us? And then we know ministry doesn't stop here. Right? Ministry doesn't stay within these four walls. It's something that happens to all of us. Out there. Out there. We're in like a 20, 30, 40 year shift of just. There's been quite a transition hasn't it? Where we're like hey. It can't be confined here. We have to remember that ministry happens out there. And the only way it's going to happen out there, again, is if we deny ourselves, take up our cross daily, and follow Jesus. We really need to allow the Holy Spirit to help us, don't we? Anyone else need the help of the Holy Spirit? We can't do it on our own. This ain't an issue of willpower. Like if I just muscle up some effort. We need the Spirit. We need the Spirit to help us. We need Him to teach us. Did you know that the Holy Spirit wants to teach you today? He, he actually teaches us. He shows us what it looks like to, to, to shine, to advance His kingdom, to heal the sick in everyday situations, in our everyday lives. And I really, hopefully you're already hearing today, I want this to be as practical as possible for everyone in the room today. There are some places, think about, I was thinking about this week, there are some places that you and I gather as human beings where it feels like we don't gather as much as maybe people did a hundred years ago because we have things like social media and the internet and those types of things. But there are still places where we gather as human beings. What are we doing in those places? What does it look like to express the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ to others 
in those places where we gather. I think we need the Holy Spirit's help on this one. One of the places I was thinking about is the grocery store. Grocery store. A great place, right? Because you are surrounded, in a lot of ways, by strangers, right? People that you don't know. What if we ask the Lord? Tom Gordon, Pastor Tom was really good at this. But what if you ask the Lord, Lord, would you give me an opportunity to be a blessing to another person? In my shopping experience, that that I could shine the light, that I could carry the the love, the hope, the joy, the peace of Christ, and actually pass it on to others. And that doesn't mean you're preaching a sermon in aisle seven, right? (laughs) It's just that you're ready. You're ready to follow Jesus. You're ready to be sensitive to the Holy Spirit as you walk through that store. He's going to give you opportunities to shine that light. Because, again, what is the spirit that we carry into that store? And this is so important when you get out of the car because we're human beings and, and it's so, uh, it matters. But what is the spirit we are carrying into that store? Am I grumpy? <laughs> just finding a parking spot can get you there, right? Are we grumpy? Are we just thinking about ourselves? Are we in a race to see how fast I can go in and go out? Or are we carrying the name of Jesus? Are we willing to follow Jesus? I had a man stop me just this last week in Safeway because he had seen me at Tom's service. And I didn't know this man, but he stopped me. And, and I, by the way, I had my two girls with me. Like, we're on mission. We're, we're getting the Chinese food, you know, the, the stuff that you should never eat, but it always sounds good and then you regret it later. But I, there I was. I had my two girls with me. But right away, church, I realized this man needed to talk. And so he opened up to me in a real, I mean, it was a, I wish my girls were here, I was looking for him, but powerful way. And we talked for a while, a while and we listened to his worries, listened to his burdens, talking about just some things that were going on. And we were able to encourage him. It was beautiful. It was powerful. Uh, sporting events is another great place where we gather. Uh, we have little kids, so we're always at soccer or basketball or baseball. Just had some softball tryouts yesterday. In February, like what? It was so cold. But Addie, man, you want to have a fun time, go with me to one of Addie's basketball games. Cute little Addie out there playing basketball. But we're there in Kyla Ferris. Bless Kyla. She was there with us. And, and I just asked Kyla if I could pray for her. And so I placed my hand on her shoulder right next to the basketball court. Not Again, not even really thinking about it, but right after I got done praying, that lady was there and she was standing there. You could tell that it influenced her and, and she began to talk about how cute uh, Addie was and all the joy that was in Addie. Someone witnessed the kingdom of God being expressed in a place where we gathered. Is this making sense? Again, not preaching a sermon, not, let's say it the Lord, but just that the people would experience his kingdom in public places. Restaurants. Or how you guys say it, restaurants or whatever, but I call them restaurants. Uh, restaurants. I, I think we forget what an opportunity we have as spirit-filled, spirit-led believers to practice following Jesus in a restaurant. Uh, Ryan, you were a server at a local amazing Italian food restaurant, and uh, you had some tough experiences often with Christians, and they weren't always your favorite uh, people to have as customers. Church, come on, that's embarrassing. That's so embarrassing because I get where it comes from. We've all been there because a restaurant, it's like it is the place of consumption, right? As consumers, I mean, it's all about me. It's about my desire, my wants. I want my eggs over easy. I want my coffee with cream. It's me, me, me. The holy untrinity of me, myself, and I, 
And yeah, come on, my dad has been so good at challenging me on this. And he, he's amazing. Just take my dad out to coffee and watch him go to work. It's, it's amazing how he just loves people. And they're not a project. They're not a, you know, like, well, I better tell them about Jesus. He, he might not even say the name Jesus, but by the time my dad's out of that restaurant, the person goes, whoa, there must be a God. You know, like just the way that he speaks into their hearts. It's amazing to me. It encourages me because it's this training ground. And can we see that the Holy Spirit, again, he's a teacher and that he might want to teach us? Does that make sense? And it's not just by Pastor Dan's sermon at 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning, but he might be giving us practical situations and examples where he says, I want to change your heart. I want you to be transformed that you would be a reflection of my son. Hallelujah. Right there in Ranchitos, right there in that restaurant. What does it look like to bring the kingdom of God, carry the name of Jesus, even when they built, uh, burnt the toast, even when they overcooked the eggs, spilled the coffee, whatever it is. Is that what's most important in that situation? Is that really the deal? Well, you know, Dan, I paid a lot of money for it, and don't you know I should get what I... Is that even worth it? At what cost? Because it's not about your breakfast. It's that the kingdom of God would be represented and flow through us. The fruit of His Spirit. Oh, man, like, just, uh, such a repentant heart just rises up within me. I think about some of the words I've said, the things that, oh, Jesus, forgive us. Because here we have an opportunity to be a true disciple of Jesus. Romans fourteen seventeen has been hanging out in my heart for two solid weeks. And don't you love that? As Christians, like, I, I read a lot of the Bible, right? And I do the daily reading plan. I've been doing it for years. Like, we just love to read, 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 read. But sometimes you've got to stop and just sit. In a verse, and I've been sitting in Romans chapter 14. Listen to what it says. It says that the kingdom of God, it says what the kingdom of God isn't, but then it says it is, say it with me, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That's what the kingdom of God is. And that's not just when we're hanging out at Life Spring on a Sunday morning. Righteousness, peace, Joy in the Holy Spirit. It's not just during the worship time when Ryan and Kyle and the team are leading us in worship. It's amazing as it is. But I think more important than that and most applicable would be in the booth at Ranchitos. That you carry with you the kingdom of God and when you sit down, you bring in His righteousness, His peace, and the joy of His Holy Spirit. Right? That we would act like citizens of God's kingdom. That people would experience the characteristics and the nature of His kingdom through me, through us. That when we enter a room, they would witness righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. By the way, just try that one today. Can we try that one today? If you're taking notes, just say, I'm going to try this today. Explanation mark, underline. Don't wait till tomorrow. You're going to forget tomorrow. Tomorrow you're even going to tell someone, yeah, I really like Pastor Dan's message. And they're going to say, what did he talk about? You're going to go, I don't know. We've all done it. So don't even wait till tomorrow. Try it today. The minute you leave this place, just speak that over your life. Jesus, today, I deny myself. Jesus, today, I take up my cross. Today, I follow you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Holy Spirit, give me opportunities to live for something bigger and better than just me, myself, and I. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Say that with me, church. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Say it one more time. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Do you have that kind of hunger? For the lost. Oh, if there was to be a shake-up, it would be that we would have a hunger for the lost. 
a hunger for the people around us to experience what we have experienced, that they would taste and see that the Lord is good at breakfast. They would get to know us at the grocery store. Oh, Jesus, advance your kingdom and heal the sick through us, through us. Verse 24, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? It's not worth it. It's not worth it. Yes, we are always tempted to live for the world, for the things of the world. We're hearing that message, by the way, constantly. I mean, from the minute you wake up till the minute you go to bed on your phone, on your tablet, on your computer, on your TV, to live for myself, to satisfy myself, to do whatever you and I can do to live comfortable, right? To live in safety, to be safe and comfortable. That I just, man, it is just, From the minute you wake up, what do I need to buy? What do I need to get? What do I need to eat? Me, 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 me. But it's never worth it. Even if there are temporary pleasures, right? Because there are. And even if there's those feelings of satisfaction that there are, that come with living for this world. Church, just hear me out. In the long run, if you choose to live your life that way, you will always lose. You will always lose. And I'm not your judge. But there is a judge. You will always lose. You cannot have one foot in the world and one foot in the Lord. You must be all in for Jesus. All my eggs are in one basket. It's so important that we understand this. Living for the world will always end in death and destruction. God must always be the center of our lives. Not self, but God. And when He's not... By His grace and mercy, repent. Repent. Repent, by the way, is not a swear word. It's His kindness that leads us to repentance. There's joy in repentance. I remember my counselor told me one time, he said, Dan, repent of your unbelief. I said, I repent of my unbelief. He said, well, what did Jesus do after you repented? I said, I don't know. He goes, He embraced you. He loves you. Church, He loves you. If you're far off from God, come back. When you come back, He's running at you. He loves you. He's for you. Just repent before the Lord. If you've ever lived this way, if you've ever found yourself stuck in the world, repent and allow the Lord to embrace you with His love. The way of the cross, and I want to close with this, the way of the cross is an intentional, deliberate surrender. Intentional, Deliberate surrender. A surrender of my life to God. And not just one time, but every single day. We take up our cross how often? Daily. Daily. They said daily. That was right. Two points. Daily. Daily. I need that reminder. Do you know how often I need that reminder? Daily. Daily. Even as Christians... Think about this. Most of us can remember the day that we accepted Jesus into our lives. Remember that, right? It was amazing. A new life in Him, salvation in Him, born again in Christ. But following Him, that's a daily decision. 
especially some of you that have been Christians for a while, I hope you're going to hear what I'm talking about here. Because I'm not talking about earning salvation. I'm not talking about trying to get into heaven. That is a free gift of God's grace. But following Him, obeying the Lord. It is a daily, if not minute by minute, choice and decision. The Apostle Paul, he says it this way. He goes, since we live by the Spirit, he says, keep in step with the Spirit. I love that phrase, by the way. Isn't that good? Isn't that give your mental, uh, just a picture of what it looks like? If we're going to live by the Spirit, how do we need to live? Where we keep what? In step with the Spirit. By the way, what is that telling you? It's also telling you, you don't have to live in step with the Spirit. I know you guys don't like it when I talk that way sometimes in my office. Because you just want me to tell you everything's going to be great and dandy and God loves you. But if you're not keeping in step with the Spirit of God, it's not on God. It's not on the Lord at that point. We must, this is not a game. Lord, forgive me. Lord, I want to live by your Spirit. Correct me. Teach me. Train me. That I might walk with you. Paul says that we would walk in the newness of life. It's a walk. It's a journey. It's a step-by-step walk with the Lord. Where you daily surrender your will. By the way, if that's you, if you've been creating your own path, His grace and His mercy is big enough for you. He's not up in heaven like, well, you know, no, He's like, come back. I have a plan for you. I have a path for you. And when you come back, He says, great. He embraces you, loves you, says, now let's go. Follow me. Deny yourself. Take up your cross daily. Follow me. This is where we're going. You're like, well, I don't want to go. I'm going to go on my own path. Well, we'll be here waiting for you. I'm so sorry, Lord. I'm feeding pigs. I'm living with the pigs. Well, come back. Okay, I'm coming back. All right, deny yourself. Here we go. I have a path for you. I have a plan for you. Take up your cross daily. Follow me. So walk with the Lord. And sometimes, yeah, we like to create our own path. But remember, it's a walk with the Lord, a journey with the Lord, where you daily surrender your life to Him. Keep in step with His will. If you're taking notes, write that down. It's so good. Keep in step with the Spirit. Keep in step with His will. Keep in step with His kingdom. His will be done. His kingdom come so whatever life requires of us today grocery store restaurant school home workplace whatever it is come on let's commit commit to interacting and living in those settings those situations from a place of relationship with christ based on our walk with the lord and then from that place of relationship where we actually are keeping in step with the spirit where we are abiding in his presence from that knowledge keeping in step with the spirit would it then begin to influence our daily life our real life not just sunday morning church life but like real ugly (laughs) intense life that we would daily obey daily surrender minute by minute following him whatever that requires Let him train you up, church, so that it would become a way of life. That following him would be a way of life. You get caught up in the river of his spirit, where it's a way of life. The joy of surrendering our lives to the Lord. By the way, if you're earlier on this journey with the Lord, maybe year five to year ten, denying yourself, carrying your cross, following Jesus, this can be quite the shake-up. Because one thing you've probably noticed is that Jesus starts messing with everything. Have you noticed that? 
And he messes with everything. If you're on your phone right now, guess what? He's probably messing with you. He messes with what you watch on TV. He messes with what video games you're playing. He messes with what social media apps you're using. If you want to remain the same, whatever you do, do not start following Jesus. Because Jesus will radically change your life. If you take up your cross, you follow him. And at the beginning of your walk, and I, really, I want to encourage you, if you're around year five, year six, where, somewhere around there, if you're at the beginning, it can sometimes feel like it's too much. Like, I don't know if I like Jesus messing with some of these areas of my life. Like, I want to watch what I want to watch on Netflix, or I want to wa- listen to music with vulgar language, or I want to drink my six-pack of beers, or but whatever it is. But surrendering to Christ, just hear me out. It's going to influence every single area of your life. And when I was younger in the faith, I was like, God, like, you can work here. Like, God, do something good here. But not over here. Like, this is my thing. But God, over here, like, woo, just Holy Spirit. But this is my thing over here. And every time I did that, you know what the Holy Spirit said? Hey, Dan, come over here, because actually I want to work on this thing. Every time, oh, no, Dan, I love you. Like, I have so many plans for you, man. Like, God, I, or Dan, I just love you. Like, come over, we're working on this thing. The older you get, you're like, I'm not even going to try. God, just work on the thing. <laughs> Just have your way. I say this. Look for Christians who have been following him a while. If you're younger in the faith, look for Christians who have been following him a while who radiate his kingdom. Does that make sense? Who radiate his joy, his peace. Now, don't look for perfect people. They don't exist, right? Everybody outside of Christ falls short of the glory of God. But look, seek out followers of Jesus who, though the circumstances may not be ideal that you can just tell deep within them that they have life. And they have life to the full. They have that abundant life that Jesus promises. Now, if they've been a Christian a long time and they're kind of grumpy, irritable, judgmental, maybe don't seek out that person's wisdom. Just practice prayer. You can pray for them. Pray for them. We all need prayer. And I mean that too. Like, whatever, right? I mean, I, I got that in me too. We just pray that, Lord, would you soften their heart? Would you soften their heart that they would be receptive to what you want to do in their life? But really, look for the Christians who have been following him for years who have that righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. I've spent, i got a great example of this. I've spent the last two weeks in Larry's house. Larry, raise your hand so everyone can see Larry. Everybody say, hi, Larry. Yeah, Larry, we had some good time over some good coffee and such a beautiful, powerful example to me of someone who has lived their life as a disciple of Jesus. And when you really get to know someone, uh, everyone has gone through hard things. Again, we just got to realize that you you are in a pool that is full of hard things. You're not alone in those hardships. We just maybe don't talk about them. Larry had to say goodbye to his wife of... 60 years this last year. He said that he has had over 30 surgeries. 30 surgeries, church. 30. And yet, Larry loves Jesus. He loves the Lord. And I'm sure he's not perfect, but you just see Jesus 
in Larry. You see the love of Jesus in Larry. When you pray with Larry, you feel the power of the Holy Spirit moving through his life. He's, he's, a, he's counted the cost. He's surrendered his life to Jesus. He's unashamed of his Savior. He's shining the light of Christ to everyone around him, to your kids, to your sons, to your grandkids, to your great-grandkids, everyone that he meets. He's sharing the kingdom of God. And that leads me to the last verse, verse 26. Whoever is ashamed of me and ashamed of my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and the glory of his Father and the holy angels. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Paul says it this way, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Don't be ashamed of Jesus. Don't be ashamed of his words, because Jesus, did you know that he is coming back? He is coming back. He's coming in His glory and the glory of His Father and of the holy angels. He is coming. He is coming again. Come, Lord Jesus, come. And that He would not see us ashamed of Him, living for the world, living for the things of this world, but we would be living for the Lord. And again, the Lord isn't here to condemn you, but if you have found yourself blazing your own trail in this moment, turn to Jesus. The Lord, the Father is calling you today. His heart is for you. He has plans for you. He created you with purpose and intentionality. He has joy for you, my son. Joy for you, my daughter. Turn to the Lord. Walk in His ways. His hunger, His passion for you. That you might be consumed by His fire. And turn and live a passion and hunger for Him. That your life as a disciple would be a response to all that He has done for you. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Turn to Him, whether it's the first time or the thousandth time, put your faith in Jesus as the Messiah, as the coming King. Deny yourself, carry your cross, follow Jesus. I've asked Larry if he would actually come up, and all I asked was that he would pray for us, because I do sense that the Lord is calling us today, desiring that we would be His disciples. And as he prays, It's just a prayer that the Lord would lead us as His disciples, that each one of us would count the cost of discipleship, that each one of us would carry our cross. Each one of us would deny ourselves and choose to be a disciple of Jesus, following Jesus. Larry, would you pray for us? Would you bow your heads, church? Gracious Heavenly Father, we come to you today and knowing that you are the Savior of the world. We know without you we're lost. But Father, we know with you we can do anything. We can uh, be able to go out and see people as they are and be able to talk to them as they are and help them to be able to come to you in such a way that they'll know that uh, you are the Christ. You are the Savior of the world. You are the one that loves them. You are the one that takes care of them. You are the one that gives them the next breath, Lord. You are the one that loves them. And we thank you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy and your grace that you pour out in each one of our lives. Even when we're not living for you, you still pour out your goodness and mercy and grace in our lives. We ask, Father, that you just bless them and keep them in a mighty way. We thank you for your goodness and your mercy and your grace, Father, that you show on us every day. In Jesus' precious and holy name we pray. Amen and amen.
Amen. Can we just thank the Lord for today? He's calling his sons and daughters.